The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. In the South, it's always college football season and the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents the Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. There have only been two settings for Clemson's offense the past decade. And they show we continue to get distracted by the wrong stuff. It is Chuck Oliver show on a Thursday. And I raise my hand because I get distracted by it as well. It's the reason that it's two, th- was this uh, March 9th, 2023. And this is the first time I'm talking about it in sort of this crystallized form. <coughs> If you look at Clemson on offense, going back the past 10 full seasons, 2020, there was some weirdness. We know the schedule. Notre Dame was sort of a conference team, whatever. But the past 10 full seasons, if you go back and look, the only two settings for Clemson's offense, and it's important because they're Clemson. They've won two and played for what, another? So, actually, two more. So, it's as big time and important as it gets over the last 10 years. That's not where they are now, and that's the whole point of this. There have only been two settings for Clemson's offense the past decade, um, and those two settings have been very good and behemoth national-level great. Uh, another way to label those same 10 seasons is with Trevor Lawrence or with any other quarterback. The three seasons of the past 10, or 11 actually, I think I went back. The three seasons with Trevor Lawrence. Now, I'm going to give you the ACC scoring offense rank. Point scored, that's it, in the ACC. They count in every game you played, but... Among the other teams in the ACC, I'm not ranking you against the other 129 or 130. It's just the other teams in the ACC. That is the most apples-to-apples ranking because at least you're not the same caliber and you don't care the same and invest the same and all that. You don't have the same chance. But it's against the backdrop of sort of the same schedule. So I think conference – actually, I'm not getting off of this, but if you ever want – way better any sort of like scoring offense scoring defense sacks turnovers whatever that's a great numbers against whatever backdrop filter it down to against comparing it just against other conference members just the ACC stats just the big 12 stats etc and you get a way better idea what a team is three seasons with Trevor Lawrence ACC scoring offense ranks of first 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 Yeah, but they're good every year. No, they're very good every year. 
And then they had three seasons with Trevor Lawrence, and they were behemoth national level great. Finished first all three seasons. If I told you I was going to look at another eight seasons of Clemson offense on both sides of Trevor Lawrence, the couple after him and the whatever five or six before him, if I told you that, folks, you eat, would you guess that I just said they had three seasons where they finished first and you're like, well, I'm sure they finished first. Wouldn't you say that? Because I think I would have. Wouldn't you say that, well, they finished first other times, I'm sure, because the ACC is not that good of a conference, are they? This is what we all have in our brains, if we're in the room of truth. And I know Clemson, they've been a one-team conference, so boy, they just tore through that thing left and right. Here is the reason finishing first is so much different than second, third, or fourth, or wherever in conference rankings, in scoring, for instance. If you finish first in the ACC versus you finish second or third, let's say you finish second in the conference in scoring. I look at that and go, wow, you're probably pretty good. All right, now tell me more. Was there, were were you right behind the conference leader? Where did you rank nationally? But, you know, I need some context. Who was on your heels? When you are ranked even as, quote, low as second in conference, I'm going to need some more information. All right, put this in context now. Was it Snow White and all the others were dwarves? Yeah, I finished second in the conference. Yeah, we were 11 points behind the conference leader. If you finish first in your conference, that means you at least land on a national level. And that that's just, that is a clear-cut difference. They're still blues. If you were second in your conference, then it probably ain't even blue sky. Not nearly as much. Maybe you were Tennessee and you finished behind Georgia or Georgia finished behind Tennessee and you're still top five nationally. Most times that's not how it works. Most times if you were even second or certainly third or fourth in your conference in scoring. Okay, now we're getting down to you probably had a few really good Saturdays, but there were some issues. I'm telling you, that's the cutoff, man. Three seasons with Trevor Lawrence. They finished first all three seasons. I would have raised my hand and I said, yes, here's a Franklin of the other eight seasons, Chuck, other self. Um, Yeah, of course they finished first, not a single season. In that same 11-year period, Clemson's offense with any other quarterback, second, seventh, second, third, 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 ninth, fourth. All the while... We haven't said two words or had any worry about the defense since Venables left. The defensive rankings with Venables, the worst it ever got was third. It was third this past year. Do we know? I would put, I said, I put $100 out there right now. Who's the Clemson defensive coordinator? Do we know? Dan, do you know who the defensive coordinator is? If you say no, like you're in the choir with 99% of other people, do you know? Yeah, top of my head, no. Uh, you're not supposed to. It's okay. Did you know for like the previous, I don't know, 12 years before? Oh, yeah, I know. In fact, I've talked to him. Here's my interview from him in 2015. <laughs> okay, that was different as Brent Venables. It, they have a new, it's it's Wes Goodwin. And he not only was a first-time ever coordinator last year, he was a first-time ever position coach. 
at some point, Brent Venables was first-time ever position coach and a first-time ever coordinator. I don't know that they happened in the same season, but and I don't know that they happened at a place like Clemson. Did for Wes Goodwin. And do you know what Clemson's defense was last year? They're pretty good. They're third in the ACC. I'm talking about scoring. And we haven't cared at all about Clemson's defensive coordinator leaving just the changes on offense. Whereas we've got a huge sample size of Clemson's offense. And I'm telling you, offensively, we're paying attention to the wrong stuff. We have been obsessing about the coaching changes on that side of the ball for the Tigers. Folks, whether Billy Napier was on the staff or he wasn't, the Clemson offense was very good, except for three seasons. Whether Chad Morris was on the staff or he wasn't, the offense was very good, except for three seasons. Whether Tony Elliott or Jeff Scott or Brandon Streeter now, none of that has mattered. None of it. We've obsessed over it. Here's what's mattered. They had the first overall pick at quarterback for three seasons. Those three seasons, offense was behemoth national level dominant. All the other seasons, all the other quarterbacks and coaches and coordinators and play callers and where's the FSU game this season? None of that mattered. None of it. When you're like Clemson had gotten to the point, had, I just said past tense, like Ohio State lives there. Georgia lives there. Georgia actually, they, they don't even come to the HOA parties anymore. They're too cool for that. But Clemson was there. And there is enough, like if suddenly there's this influx of freshman talent and these are like stud, like Mike Williams level, Dexter Lawrence sort of guys, I don't know that that's what it is. Clemson could get right back there probably. But I think it's safe to say that overall talent-wise, it was it was had. Clemson had that level of talent. It's passed. And I mean, like it just happened. Okay, I still smell the popcorn. Okay, yeah, it just was going on. But I think it is now something that we, and then it ended and a new era began. I think that's where we are. And I think it's more so on defense. (laughs) I really do. That's where the fall off is about to happen, folks. I think it already has happened on offense, and you see that they've kind of like righted them. They're the boxer. The offense got to the end of the round. The defense. See, we ha- what I'm saying about like being in this club Clemson was in, like Ohio State, Bama, Georgia, whoever. This is this is why none of those quarterbacks matter. Uh, I mean, the uh, yeah, none of the quarterbacks mattered. Trevor Lawrence, he mattered. The coaches, the coordinators, play call, none of that mattered. Where the FSU game went, none of that mattered. The reason none of that matters is Clemson's overall talent had reached a point. The collective talent and experience had hit critical mass. Do you know what that, that phrase means? Critical mass. So that it was going to be at least very good. class, recruiting class, stacking, recruiting class on recruiting class of that overall collective talent. And then you could sustain injuries or performance or a suspension or Sammy Watkins did this or he hurt an ankle or he has COVID or we're missing our, you could sustain all of that because the collective talent and then experience 
had hit critical mass. So that kind of no matter what happened, it's like the U.S. economy. It's going to be at least very good. And it was Ben Trevor. Trevor left, went back to being mostly very good. Even the DJ thing. They got through that. They, Like I said, they got to the round, man. They sort of righted themselves. We hadn't paid two minutes of mine to Clemson's defensive coordinator leaving. Wes Goodwin, I'm sure he's a fine coach. The Clemson defense is where the falloff hasn't happened yet. It's just started to kind of show some cracks. And unlike when they sent three first-round picks off the line, folks, off the defensive line to the NFL draft a few seasons back and then replaced him with more NFL players, it is not quite at that level anymore, which means the toughest news for Clemson is they may, like I said, they may have actually kind of found their leg, like steadied themselves. And the ACC is not going to be a one-team conference anymore. It's a much tougher landscape for them. So we've been paying attention to wrong stuff over um, off exit 19. So we're going to take a break, come back, continue. Chuck Oliver Show next. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. All week, all year, it's all college football on Chuck Oliver Show. Appreciate everybody coming here for your college football conversation every day. Been going eight and a half years, nine states, and 56 sticks. Uh, Talk about changing times in college football. Do y'all remember this? And I could have looked up the guy's name. It's not important. Kevin Sumlin had a wide receivers coach at um, uh, Texas A&M. And they had a commit, and then the kid backed off. Didn't even, like, flip. He just backed off his commitment. And the wide receivers coach lost his mind. Sent out a tweet. We want young men who understand commitment and live up to their word. And you went public. And and Kevin Sumlin's like, "Eh, where were you? That was a bad idea back then, folks. It's not even in one coach's like brain cell anywhere now. Like it, Kendall Bryles tweeted out, "Looking forward to next season," <laughs> with KJ Jefferson like on Twitter. He's like, "Can't wait to be back next year." He's like, "Oh, wait a minute, TCU." Um, so, and we didn't. We just like that's business as usual now. That's just normal stuff. Five years ago, ten years ago, it would have been like the end of Frankenstein, torches and pitchforks. Now we're like, okay, well, who are we going to hire? It is a weird time in college football. Well, welcome on. I'm going to tell you, folks, really good guy. And boy, does he know the Hogs, co-host of the Morning Rush. Six to nine, Monday through Friday, way out yonder in Arkansas. Uh, he is part of ESPN Arkansas, the Morning Rush there. It is Ty Richardson. How you doing, brother? Chuck, I'm good, man. I was telling Dan, uh, I'm about 50 feet from Bridgestone right now, hopping on media shuttle to get back to my car. And we are ready for this SEC tournament later on today. Yeah, uh, it's not exactly 40 minutes of hell if I can go back, like, way, way, way (laughs) back. Uh, What's the blue sky there? Uh, I'm hoping Arkansas has some some good fortunes ahead of them tonight. I mean, they'll take out Auburn. But uh, it's a little uh, little nippier than it has been the past couple days in Arkansas. I think think there's some positive uh, thoughts towards the Razorbacks, but we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, like I said, it was uh, there's something that I was looking at earlier today, and not related to this at all. That the SEC, like the last two programs 
to go to the Final Four from the Southeastern Conference or Auburn and South Carolina, I was like, that ain't good for the conference. <laughs> you know, you you need the marquee programs uh, pulling along a sport, not like the also rans and who are the good uh, the good stories. And that's kind of what SEC hoops has been recently. Uh, let's talk uh, SEC football and talk about the change at OC there, because like I said, we would have lost our minds about an OC saying, "Yep, I'll be back next year," and then taking off. Like Lane Kiffin did that, and we thought it was the end of the world. Now it's just business as usual. Talk about the uh, talk about the effects. What we'll see on the field. I think that the terminology is the biggest thing. KJ and Coach Enos have to pick on that relatively quickly. They got to get a rapport with one another, and uh, if that works, then you're good. I, I mean, Dan Enos had a lot of success with Brandon Allen in his final season in Arkansas, so you're hoping kind of that same transition, but. Uh, I, when you get used to someone, Chuck, it, it, it it's good. And so I'm just curious how KJ kind of interacts with Coach Enos and how the offense uh, does this year. Everything that you can read about KJ and how can he be even better, like it, it starts with, all right, if he's healthy, if he's, you know, et cetera, because he missed some time last year, missed a game or two and was injured in another one. Um, what about that pass pro and any change in offense? Because I love the Arkansas running back room, but they're like everybody else. If you don't block in pass protection, uh, you're not going to be on the field. Yeah, they, they added some new pieces to the offensive line with losing a couple guys. and Ricky Stromberg being the most notable in all SEC centers, so you got to replace him. And if they're able to, to get some guys and work them in, they should still be solid again. You mentioned the running back room. It's about as deep as it is anywhere in the Southeastern Conference. But here's the thing, dude. They, Chuck, they they got to be able to throw the football. And no Burks. We saw even capable guys like Hazelwood and Landers last year were solid. They didn't have any game changers out there. They added a couple pieces in the portal. I'm still unsure. I mean, you had guys from Bowling Green, some college up in Michigan, D2, and I, I'm forgetting the one other wide receiver they added. I'm just not sold until you face SEC cornerbacks. I don't care what kind of stats you put up. That's – if they can't throw, I don't care how good your running back room is, it's going to be a long, long season for Arkansas. Yeah, and that's kind of why I'm asking because when KJ's at his best, that's big rough and tumble, and even as like a fifth-year grown man, um, that's not the easiest way to get through an SEC season. Uh, talking with my man Ty Richardson, get him on Twitter, at Ty Sports Radio. Again, co-host of Morning Rush ESPN. <laughs> Arkansas. It's every Monday through Friday from six to nine. So uh, talk about uh, the defense and the ability to do more than just hit the quarterback because they could do that in spurts sometimes last year. But if they didn't get there, it got ugly. Worst passing defense in all of college football. Not talking about power five. I'm not talking about group of five. Chuck, 131 out of 131. I mean, you, you can't do worse than that. And I think Barry Odom was really good for this program. The solidarity he had with Coach Pittman. They seemed to be on the same page, but the last year was horrible, and they had injury after injury. That that did not help them at all, but it was time for a change. So I think there was some partial relief that Odom got that job at UNLV. There was some thought that he could end up somewhere else as well, but, I mean, Travis Williams coming in, and, I mean, it's one thing to coach linebackers in the SEC. It's one thing to coach UCF as the D.C. It's another thing to coach defense in the University of Arkansas. I'm hoping he's up to the task. They seem to have added some guys, Woodson as the passing game coordinator, and then uh, Deron Wilson as well. So hopefully he gets the crew he wants in there and they wreck havoc because at times they did, like you said, rushing the football last season and, and getting the quarterback. But if they didn't get to him, Chuck, it was a, a 400-plus yard passing game. Yeah. All right. Uh, what is Quincy McAdoo? Whew. 
Uh, well, Arkansas fans are saying Deion Sanders 2.0. I'm not willing wow. to jump Wow, wow. Ty Richardson said that. Dan, clip that. Ty oh. Richardson guarantees. <laughs> Chuck, uh, Chuck, he's a guy that um, played both ways at Clarendon High School, a little small school. I'm sure there's some guys in Georgia down in your neck of the woods that have done the same things. And he's just a ball player, man. I mean, he, he just wants to be on the field. He asked Coach. Uh, I think he was dealing with an injury at the time, so he couldn't really catch. He's like, Coach, can I, can I just play? Can you put him on defense? And he realized, like, I played this in high school. Let me, let me see if I can do it in college. What does he do? He has two picks in the last couple of games. He blocks the punt. I mean, he's just a ball player, man. He's one of those guys. Talking with uh, Matt Jones, former Arkansas quarterback, works with us at, at our radio station. And he's just like, one of the things I liked is, like, if you can play basketball, a lot of times you can play football. He, he just liked playing with those athletes, and Matt was an athlete as well. And I, I think you can say the same about Quincy. I've never seen him play basketball, but, Chuck, I guarantee you, if you roll the ball out, that guy might be able to knock down a jumper or two. Yep. You know, and I'm, I don't know if you're old enough to really remember, but uh, back, I guess, maybe it was the 2011 season, Honey Badger, it was like week three. I was like, who's this little tiny guy who keeps playing up at the line? Of, oh, he has the football again. Um, there are guys that there is just something about they're always around the ball, and you get those like once a decade. So, Ty, always great to catch up, brother. Thanks so much. Chuck, thank you. Appreciate it. Ty Richardson, get him on Twitter. Follow that man. At Ty Sports Radio again, morning drive host, uh, ESPN Arkansas. Um, yeah, and so he's a receiver because what do you do in high school, especially in Arkansas? What do you do in Arkansas? Uh, anywhere in high school, but in maybe a less populous way, uh, place? Oh, I'm going to put you on offense, probably a quarterback, but if not a uh, running back, and if you're not necessarily big enough or maybe you're way, way, way quicker than you are, you know, whatever then we're going to put you on a perimeter somewhere. And we're just going to get the ball to you. So maybe you show up as a receiver, but you're like, oh, no, 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 no. See, I was a stud in high school, so I played both sides. I can do that. And you sort of try out on an SEC field during an SEC game. That's when you're getting your legs under you. So that was Quincy McAdoo. It's a, he's a fun, fun-looking young man. Um, and that's quickly where uh, Honey Badger got, if you remember. It was like week two or three, maybe, the season. I was like, that's a little bitty guy to be playing up on the line of scrimmage. Why? Oh, look, he's got the ball again. That could be Mike The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Ballou here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest 
largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Six sticks. It's what we do. Appreciate everybody making that blessing possible. We live in, um, I mean, college football is just in a time of weirdness. If we DeLorean back, gosh, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, there was an offensive lineman who transferred from Rhode Island to the University of Georgia, and he started at left tackle. Tyler Catalina. And, folks, it was Powerball sort of stuff. Whoa, what, huh? He was not probably, no, nah, he wasn't. He wasn't SEC left tackle sort of good, but he's good enough for Kirby that first year. And at least he started left tackle. Do y'all remember Mason Halter? I think he, tra- it was either Hofstra or Fordham. He transferred to the University of Florida and started. Powerball sort of stuff. And he wasn't, uh-uh. he started at right tackle. Now I think it was him that maybe, was it him that Jalen Ramsey or Derwin James jacked up? Um, LSU just got a two-year starter from Maryland. Kid's 6'7", 305 pounds. He's a grad transfer. He has started 34 games at Maryland, and it was an oh, yeah sort of announcement at LSU. Oh, yeah, we got this kid from Maryland. That's where college football is now. I want to welcome on a guy who covers all this. It's just his normal day from Saturday down south. Connor O'Gara. Connor, brother, how are you on this Thursday? I'm doing well, man. I thought you were going to bring up the fact that LSU had two true freshmen starting tackles last year, and they can just kind of plug and play. And the Brian Kelly system, it just it's impossible to fail as an offensive lineman, I guess. Oh, yes, it can only be failed. The system cannot fail. Sure. Only you can fail it. Um, talk about where we were, because, I mean, you were paying attention to the sport. You were covering the thing. Like Mason Halter, Tyler Catalina was a pursuit. That was a bounty, and Kirby won it. Um, I don't know. LSU gets a guy that started like 30 games at tackle, and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. by the way, we forgot to announce this. Um the ability to remake your roster, uh, I guess it's a great opportunity. Is it necessarily a good thing? I think it's a great thing. I mean, and obviously I, I say that as somebody who primarily covers the SEC and I primarily cover Power 5 teams who get to benefit from this. And if you are in that spot where, look, like if you're at a smaller school and, you know, you, you, you're seeking an opportunity – like, you have that available. Look at last year. Look at Juice Wells and how important he was for South Carolina, a guy that was at James Madison who, you know, South Carolina fans are like, eh, like, eh, you know, nice player. And then you kind of hear buzz about him in camp. They're like, oh, no, 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 this guy is ready. And there's a reason why in the NFL you don't just draft from Power 5 schools. I mean, there are guys who are ready to play at the next level who instead are like, all right, let me, let me maybe make myself a little bit more money. I'll go play at a Power 5 conference. I'll get an opportunity. I'll show that I can do that. And then I'll have a chance. Who knows? You know, look at Osiris Torrance last year. Osiris Torrance, 
but it ends up being, you know, arguably the best player on that Florida team as a one-and-done guy who followed Billy Napier from Louisiana. To me, like, that is what college football is becoming, and the coaches who refuse to embrace it, like a certain Dabo Sweeney, uh, mm-hmm. you're just holding your roster back. Connor O'Gara, get him on Twitter at CJ O'Gara. Uh, is there in this may just even be a yes no? Is there any realistic scenario of this one permanent seven rotating thing from Greg Sankey? Like if he gets behind the podium and announces that, um, I may just uh, like I, I can't imagine anything more surprising to me. Uh, what about you? Yeah, I don't think that happens. I don't think it does. Um, I think we're heading towards the 3-6. I, I, okay. I can't imagine what the 1-7 would be at this stage of the game, despite the fact that there are some, some issues still, I think, that they have to figure out with the 3-6. And what nobody's talking about is all these non-conference games that would have to be canceled from the three dozen or so current schedules down the road wherein an SEC team has four non-conference games lined up already. Can't have four non-conference games if you're having a nine-game conference schedule. So that would have to be figured out. But, you know, I, I do think that it would be stunning to see a 1-7. I don't know at this point what could really push it in that direction, understanding that the playoff is expanding to 12 teams, beginning in 2024, and that's what this was all going to be about. Ole Miss and Auburn, they were, I mean, the programs, the administrations, they were jockeying for one coach in the offseason. And then Auburn was like, yeah, okay, that's cool. We'll go get Hugh Freeze. So they kind of got the same approach. And I actually, I mean, there are folks who say some of the metrics say you got almost the exact same coach. You just got the PR baggage, but you got him for a lot cheaper. Whatever. Uh, I think those programs, it's funny that that's, again, some of the metrics say they're very, very similar, you know, production-wise as coaches because I think those two programs also share – um, a I'll say an emerging status in the SEC when Texas and OU join next year, they're going to get caught in the chum. They're going to get caught in the mix. Uh, those are two outstanding programs with facilities and access to recruits and everything that you easily could see lose four or five games in a normal year where they did a lot of stuff right. Uh, somebody has to get left out. Um, give me your your crystal ball for the immediate future for Ole Miss and Auburn. Yeah, I think it's a little bit easier right now for Ole Miss to kind of navigate who it is and what it can become than it is for Auburn, who's still in a place where it's it's figuring that out. I mean, you, you're in rebuilding mode. Like, Hugh Freeze has a rebuilding year. I don't think anybody's going to go into this season expecting 9-3 and three from them. I mean, I think that's way off the radar, whereas if Ole Miss were to put together a year like that, I don't think it would necessarily be stunning. Auburn appears to be set up better long-term for it, but – you know, one of the reasons why I thought Lane Kiffin stayed at Ole Miss instead of going to Auburn was you saw Ole Miss boost up its collective effort. And from everything that I had heard, the the collective at Auburn was in a better place than what it was at Ole Miss. And Lane wanted to see the way that this played out. And if Ole Miss was going to be willing to go all in and willing to understand, like, if you don't have this collective in place and all your ducks in a row, you're just staring up at everybody else. And both of those programs have beefed that up in a pretty significant way. Auburn, obviously, with the new facility, is going to help them by leaps and bounds, I'm sure. But, yeah, I, I think it's a little bit more difficult to try and navigate that path, and especially if Auburn's can end up with their two annual rivals still being Georgia and Alabama. I think that that sets up for a much more difficult road to get to 9-3 and three on a yearly basis. Connor O'Gara, Saturday down south. Uh, let's go to Como and Eli is in, I think, 
like the level right below Ole Miss because he doesn't even, you know, Ole Miss doesn't have as much history and heritage and resume as Auburn. Missouri doesn't have as much as Ole Miss. Uh, and it appears the administration, like the folks on site, have said, no, trust us, he's doing a good job and we recognize it. At some point at Missouri, do you have to win more than, say, seven games as a high-water mark, which he's going into year four and he hasn't done that yet? I think you do. But this is one of the most baffling contracts that nobody's talking about. When they agreed to that deal that was announced right after South Carolina – wherein we, we find out Blake Baker, the defensive coordinator who they had, who was phenomenal last year and was one of the best assistants in the SEC. Well, they, they quietly were one of the most improved units on the defensive side of the ball after they were a train wreck on defense in 2021. I think what got lost in the shuffle was these buyout numbers. I don't know what Reed Francois, Reed Desiree Francois was agreeing to with this this contract wherein you have a coach who has yet to have a winning season and he is going into year four knowing that if he is fired at the end of the year, I, I, that buyout is $20 million for for Eli Drinkowitz. Like, uh, to me, I looked at that and I thought, wait a minute, what am I missing here? Is there some sort of caveat in there that I'm just not aware of? I, I don't necessarily understand what they were doing in negotiating that. And I get it. Everybody wants to have their ducks in a row before Texas and Oklahoma come to the SEC. You want to have your guy. He recruited really well. And for what it's worth, I actually mostly like Eli Drinkowitz, and I like the fact that he was willing to finally hire an offensive play caller. But to me, I'm scratching my head going, man, I, I can't even sit here and pretend like they're they're about to go eight and four. And that's how you would – that's basically the, the year that he would have to have in order for you to feel like, oh, you made right with that contract. But it's kind of baffling to see them in this spot. All right, last thing, and it wouldn't be a stop if a stop with Connor if I didn't bring up Vanderbilt. Um, (laughs) What are they trying to get done now? Are they really, really spending? Because they don't appear to be really, really – they're on facilities. They're putting some money in facilities, which is fantastic. But um, are they spending on things like coaching staff and such? I mean, I think that's the plan. I had Clark Lee on my show uh, last week, and it was a, it was great insight into kind of who he is and his overall vision of the program and some of the things that he's learned just you know two years of being a head coach. And I think it gets you know obviously the the, the way that it played out against Tennessee, a game in which you know Joe Milton leads Tennessee to a blowout victory in Nashville, rainy night, and you know any hopes that Vandy had of going to a bowl game were were squashed, but. Them playing in a bowl or bus game in the regular season finale year two was so far off of my radar coming into the year that I think that this is now a situation where, all right, you actually have some selling points. Now, the issue is they're still not getting the transfer portal guys that they need to be able to get on a yearly basis. And the academic hurdles they have to overcome, it's tricky. And if you're somebody like a thousand yard rusher like Ray Davis, who went to Kentucky, then you're still having a difficult time even keeping some of those guys on board as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think that they need to continue to invest in that area. They haven't had to change offensive play callers. Joey Lynch is still going to be that guy, but I would tend to think that that commitment is going to be boosted. I wouldn't be surprised if we hear a Clark Lee extension at some point this offseason. Can I ask you a hoops question? Would you have an opinion? I always have an opinion. Uh, My question is, do you have an opinion? Uh, No, I'm trying to form one. Can Alabama win a national championship in uh, basketball this year? They can. I mean, they they can. I I think all the the Ken Palm metrics check out last I checked. Now, if they lose in the quarterfinal, 
No, they can't. If they lose in the quarterfinal of the SEC tournament, that's like a deal breaker. Nobody in the 21st century, as far as I can tell, like nobody has ever lost in the quarterfinal and then gone on to win a national championship. 2013 Michigan is the only national runner-up that we have seen from a team who lost in the conference tournament quarterfinal and then went on to get that far in the tournament. So I'd say if they lose that opening round game, then that's a really bad sign. But no, I I think they have the, the pieces in place. And they run the, the, the tempo, obviously, is, is so well documented what they do from an offensive depth standpoint, not just Brandon Miller, but they have several guys who can take over a game. And I, I look at that team with Nate Oates and say, yeah, I mean, they're chomping at the bit. They're going to be public enemy number one after the way that this Brandon Miller situation yeah. has played out. But, no, I, I think they have a chance to, to win a national championship. I'm probably not penciling them in to do that, but I, I do think that they have the tools. They have all the ingredients in place to make that happen. You know, for two seconds, I thought this season, I was like, ooh, Tennessee, man. And I was like, okay, no, they lost like five out of six games. Uh, And so that might be done. But um, the overall point, I talked about this a little earlier, is over the last, this will now make it, I think, seven or eight years. The most recent Final Four participants from the Southeastern Conference are Auburn and South Carolina. And if Alabama is the next one, those are good stories. But you can't be pulled along in sports by – good story programs you need your heritage programs to be pulling you along in that sport i believe chuck here's a crazier stat the sec hasn't had a one seed in the ncaa tournament since 2015 kentucky think about that think about how that's a long time that's a better the conference East, than that. yeah i know right and it's not that it's anti-sec because it's you know six bids in the yeah. ncaa tournament four consecutive years but like the big east had a year where it had two one seeds when it had villanova and xavier both getting one seeds, and meanwhile, the SEC just hasn't had that elite team. And I mean, only two national championship appearances for the SEC in the post Joakim Noah Al Horford era at Florida. I mean, that's kind of crazy to think about. They have lacked that top end talent to be able to have that presence in the NCAA tournament. Why isn't it the Corey Brewer era? Good point. You know, I love me some Corey Brewer, man. Like that guy, I was making all the Scotty Pippen comps. And as somebody who grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, like I don't, I don't take that lightly. I really don't. But wow. man, that team was fun. That team was so good. He could elevate and drop it. Uh, all right, Connor, appreciate you as always, brother. Absolutely. Appreciate it, man. Connor Garris, Saturday down south. So yeah, it's just one of those things that I'm looking at. Because this is why I'm looking, and there's I am transparent as can be. Next Thursday, I've told you, we're going to be at Harris Cherokee in Cherokee, North Carolina. I think in April, we're back at Harris Valley River in Murphy. And I'm making three plays next. I'm getting up there early next Thursday morning before the first tip-off, and I'm making three plays. I am trying to decide who, and it's three plays, three individual men's teams to win the tournament. So it may like Kansas to win. That's not a very exotic or, you know, whatever. Uh, Houston Cougars to win. I'm going to make three of those, buy three of those tickets. And I think what I'm going to do is get a couple of, like two tickets. I'll tell you what, I mean, I'm going to put them on Twitter anyway. Two tickets for probably 200 apiece. Somewhere in the 8 to 10 to 12 to 1 range to win the thing. They're uh, 10 to 1 to win. All right, give me 200 on this. They're 8 to All right, give me 2 on that. And then I'll probably bet $100 on something just to maybe cover it. <laughs> They're 4 to 1. So I'm trying to work out what that – Dan, get, get, schedule Ferengo on for next uh, – let's say next Wednesday. 
Robert Ferengo from Doc Sports, and so he'll help me drill down on this. But um, I've been just really paying attention to what the like filtering, and maybe it's Bama and Gonzaga and Houston, maybe just picking three. Uh, but in looking at that, I realized that I was I'm big on Bama, and I'm I have no commentary about the off court and the tragedy and the trial and everything else. I'm just saying that that team, man, they seem locked down. Had the thing against Tennessee, but otherwise been really good. And great, maybe even, um, a lot of nights. So there's Bama, and then I keep going back to Tennessee and saying, why did you do me wrong? I was excited about you. Uh, I even look like Texas A&M, who I don't think Texas A&M is like. Texas A&M is like SEC tournament sort of good. I don't think they're national good, but I'm looking at them. I'm just looking, saying, who do I want to put just to have something fun to root for, and I want all three tickets to make it to the second weekend. Just give me some. I want to buy some fun. So, and that's what, you know, whether you go to a movie or whatever, you're buying some fun. Dan went to Hawaii. I'm buying fun. I'm going to get like at least four days, at least four days of fun. Um, And so I keep going. I'm like, why am I not more excited about Kentucky? Kentucky says, oh, their record's fine. They've had some awful losses. I mean, awful, awful. Like, look at the five worst teams in the SEC. They lost almost every one of them. So I'm trying to decide all this, and I keep going back to the fact that it's Alabama and Tennessee that I'm excited about, and Auburn and South Carolina are the two most recent. That can't be good for the conference. In fact, I know it's not. Vanderbilt winning nine games in football, back-to-back seasons. Outstanding story for the SEC. Great story for the SEC. It was not great for the economics of the SEC. Those wins come from somewhere. You need your heritage marquee signature programs by and large carrying the freight, doing the heavy lifting, folks. That's you just do. SEC basketball, that is not where it is. All right, we're going to break, come back, wrap up the hour next. The king of college football, no matter where you go, with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Download it now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. I think we've got character. I think we've got a group that is setting a really good example and has a voice. Um, we've done a little bit of extra from a leadership development standpoint in the, in the first year. So, yeah, I feel really good about that part. I think the accountability, the detail has been much better through the first two phases. Florida head coach Billy Napier talking about leadership and difference between this year and last. And I'm sure it's there. He also has the manner of getting this team ready to play and – He's got to find an answer at quarterback, and he needed to find an answer at quarterback last year. He found a very intriguing um, chance at quarterback. I, I can't say necessarily in the immediate that Anthony Richardson wrong to go to the NFL, but because it really appears somebody falls and there's a little bit of surprise every year, but it really appears that kid is just – he did himself – a big draft solid by declaring early and his performance at the combine and the fact that he didn't show up um, out of shape or anything else. So 
I think he's going to get drafted in, say, the top five or top eight or top ten. And so, yep, you're right to leave early because you could get hurt or maybe have a bad season and drop to the fourth round. There is Jamarcus Russell. He left early and was the first overall pick. And then after his first contract, I think he was kind of done. He was done, 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 career over, and hadn't been in the league since. He was working out maybe five years ago. I'm going to guess. I don't know when. He and do you remember Jeff Garcia? They started slinging it around together. And he was trying to come back, and I don't believe anything happened, but he was working hard, and he lost a bunch of weight. But but he just he, – he came out early and was first overall pick, so it was the right decision, was it? I mean – if you wanted a four- or five-year career. So that's Billy Napier. Dan, how is the Thursday going? Uh, so far, so good. And, you know, it's funny how I closed the show yesterday, you know, ca- talking about the, you know, the kudos being given to Jim Phillips of the ACC, saying we got to be better at uh, football. And more importantly, the guys that we were really counting on to be good at football need to be better. Of course, that's Clemson, Florida State, Miami. Maybe even you throw Virginia Tech in there, I guess, for good measure. But, you know, what you were just talking about with uh, the SEC and basketball is kind of like a little bit of a be careful what you wish for, if you will, with Greg Sankey, where he said, we got to be better at men's basketball. Okay, you're better at men's basketball. The team that has to be better at men's basketball, they're good. They're playing really good basketball right now, as a matter of fact. It wouldn't surprise me if Kentucky won the SEC tournament when it's all said and done, the way that uh, Oscar Shibway and everybody is uh, playing for that team right now. But, um, you know, it, it's just, again, I mean, it's it's what do you want and how do you want it to be for your league? I think that's uh, really what kind of is all baked in when it's all said and done. Uh, speaking of basketball, because I think that there needs to be a little bit of a football example because you don't see this very much in football basketball any other sport for that matter anymore Jim Beheim uh, not going to be at Syracuse next year uh, and a little bit of an interesting announcement did you notice Chuck that the release was not necessarily Jim Beheim retiring it was Jim yes. Beheim will not return and I thought that that was really interesting like okay Syracuse you're really going to go out on that limb right there of you were going to tell the man that we would fire you if you did not step aside because that's pretty much what they did because now in football, you see it to the point where the Joe Paternos don't exist anymore. They either leave and go to another school, they go to the NFL, or they just decide when it's all said and done, I don't need this anymore. This is too much to deal with. I, I, let me go ahead and retire, enjoy the rest of my days with my wife, my kids, and my grandkids. It's an elite program. 47 years, going to have a new leader, and it probably is time. The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves, and people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY, and there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required, and they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save, and save and win. Hey everybody, Buck Blue here, and as a recent customer of Jim Ellis Automotive and a longtime friend of the Vice President, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis Automotive Group takes pride in being a family-owned and operated business. I saw it firsthand. When Stacey's granddad, Jim Ellis, founded the company back in 71, his goal was to treat every customer like family by offering a car buying experience that was both easy and fully transparent. And it worked. 50 years later, Stacy's dad, Jimmy Ellis, grew the organization to become Georgia's largest 
largest family-owned and operated automotive group. And today, third-generation family members like Stacy, along with more than 1,700 dedicated team members, are working hard to uphold the values Jim Ellis Automotive was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit JimEllis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com.